More vaccines for more Hoosiers. You'll hear what the governor is saying now. Plus, the Senate taking up the president's American rescue plan. We'll hear from Senator Mike Braun, Congressman Jim Baird, and some Indiana advocacy groups pushing for more stimulus. Plus, Indianapolis Mayor Joe Hogsett and Council Minority Leader Brian Mowry on the report reacting to last year's riots downtown. It's all ahead on this week's edition of In Focus. Good morning, everyone. I'm Bob Donaldson. This weekend, thousands of Hoosiers are being vaccinated across the state at a handful of mass vaccination clinics, including one that's been set up at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Governor Eric Holcomb got his vaccine at IMS Friday, along with other state officials. Our Alexa Green was there. The governor says this is the way the Hoosier state is going to overcome the coronavirus. He's encouraging every Hoosier who is eligible to come get vaccinated. I want to step out of the way and show you this historic moment happening here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. You can see drivers waiting in line patiently in their cars, waiting for that newly approved Johnson and Johnson vaccine. The governor in an IMS vehicle on the passenger side being driven by IMS President Doug Bowles. The governor was the first Hoosier to get vaccinated here at IMS, followed by Bowles. Both of them then spoke to the media after telling us what a historic and memorable moment this is. This is, an, this is easy peasy. It's free. And we want to encourage not just the um, 4,200 people here today, but we want to encourage every eligible Hoosier to get vaccinated. It's going to help us get through this. Again, this is... Uh, an amazing moment for Hoosiers. It's an amazing moment for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. The last year has been challenging for all of us. In the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, we've done what we could to be supportive, and we're excited to see thousands of people coming through the gates today. Again, the clinic underway right now. Doors will close at 10 p.m. tonight, and when this is all said and done, by Monday night, nearly 17,000 Hoosiers will be vaccinated. At IMS, I'm Alexa Green. Indiana educators also now able to sign up for the vaccine. Those who don't fall into the state's age-based or medical categories will go through a different process for a federal vaccine program. The State Teachers Association says the return to in-person class means teachers need to be a priority for vaccines. Because when we have to quarantine, when we have to make uh, any adaptations, for uh, how we provide instruction, that is a change for the student. Teachers will need to sign up for an appointment on the individual websites of the participating pharmacies, not through the state or 211. Meantime, this week it was the Senate's turn to take up the president's relief bill, with more compromises being made when it comes to how many Americans will get a stimulus check. This week, we've been hearing from Indiana lawmakers and from local organizations that want to see that what, what will be signed into law. Our Dan Spieler joins us now with more. Dan? Hi, Bob. Good to see you. I'll be back next week as Fox 59 and CBS 4 team up to bring you a special in-focus town hall, the path out of the pandemic. Obviously, this stimulus bill, a big topic of conversation. We've been hearing from Indiana advocacy groups that say this bill will help in a number of ways, and also from Republican lawmakers who say they're worried about the size and scope of the bill. Because there's so much stuff in there that is not getting enough coverage that is totally unrelated to COVID. Uh, and the more I look at it, uh, it's stuff that you'd never dare bring forward.
in an individual freestanding bill. None of it's going through committee. And I know there's general popularity across the country, uh, even among Republicans, but that's mostly for stimulus checks and uh, extended unemployment benefits and maybe some other things. But I think if we flesh it out, uh, there's going to be a lot of people scratching their head how you can call it a COVID relief bill. That it's really kind of irrational and irresponsible. Uh, we've, we've approved, what, $4 trillion already? There's still a trillion dollars of that left. So there's 25% that we still haven't allocated. And now we're wanting to add almost another $2 trillion. So I, I'm concerned about American taxpayers, and I'm concerned about the people in our district that are having a hard enough time trying to survive the pandemic. And what we've heard from families is that they're experiencing a lot of hardship. And some of it are folks from accommodations and food service and retail trade who've lost jobs. But some of it are folks that are on fixed incomes or adults on SSI, uh, uh, Social Security Disability who uh, haven't lost income, but they're feeling the burden of increased costs with food and healthcare and, and some of those strains. So we are um, hopeful that this rescue plan will get passed and that we will be able to support families in Indiana that are really struggling right now. And Bob, we will continue that conversation during our town hall coming up Wednesday night and on next week's edition of In Focus as President Biden hopes to get this bill signed into law by next Sunday when a number of previous federal benefits expire. Bob, back to you. All right, Dan, thank you very much. As Dan mentioned, we want to take your questions straight to Indiana lawmakers as part of that special report, In Focus, Path Out of the Pandemic. It airs this coming Wednesday, March 10th at 7 p.m. on CBS4 and Fox 59. Go to cbs4nd.com slash questions or fox59.com slash questions to ask our lawmakers about the pandemic, the stimulus bill, and other big issues in Congress. The White House is still looking to raise the minimum wage. This comes one week after the Senate parliamentarian ruled it couldn't be in the COVID relief bill. Our Kayla Sullivan digs into more about how this could impact Hoosiers. When it comes to raising minimum wage, experts say the proposed amount can make all the difference. It lifts people out of poverty. And, and so we, we really do have a beneficial impact for a significant number of households. Kyle Anderson, an economist at IU's Kelly School of Business in Indianapolis, says overall, raising the minimum wage is good for the economy if it's small increases. The federal government wants $15 per hour, which more than doubles the current $7.25 standard. He isn't sure what that large of an increase would do. I would urge caution among policymakers to take that big of a jump. So whatever we do, I, I think it should be phased in and a little more gradual. The nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office estimates a $15 minimum wage would lead to the loss of 1.4 million jobs by 2025 in the U.S. This will serve to further accelerate automation and eliminate those low-skilled jobs. Indiana Chamber of Commerce President Kevin Brinegar says minimum wage jobs aren't considered living wage jobs. They're stepping stones. They're, you know, college students working to earn money for college. He isn't necessarily against increasing the minimum wage. He just thinks the number needs to make sense. The current federal minimum wage, which Indiana's minimum wage is tied to, uh, has not been raised for a number of years. 
And um, so it's fair to say that it's time to take a look. Minimum wage proposals in the Indiana State House didn't get a hearing this session, but Democrats say they'll continue fighting. Experts think a federal increase has a better shot than a state proposal. From the Indiana State House, I'm Kayla Sullivan. Coming up next on In Focus, some states are ending their mass mandates and one Indiana congressman thinks we should too. Plus, we'll talk with our panel about Indiana Senator Todd Young, who announced his run for re-election this past week. When you entrusted me with the honor of serving you five years ago, I swore an oath to defend the Constitution. I also pledged to you that I would work on behalf of all Hoosiers to deliver conservative results. That's Senator Todd Young announcing he is indeed uh, up for re-election next year. Our panel is here now to talk about that and all of the week's top stories. I'm joined today by UND political science professor Laura Wilson, former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy, former communications director Jennifer Wagner with the Democrats, and Abdul Hakim Shabazz, editor and publisher of IndiePolitics.org. Org. Abdul, I'll start with you. Senator Young comes into this race with a number of built-in advantages, doesn't he? Uh, yes, he does. Uh, he's got a ton of money. He's got an organization. Uh, and for the most part, uh, he's pretty much well-liked across uh, Indiana circles. So I think he'll be a tough opponent to beat. Now, obviously, the Democrats are going to try to run him as uh, sort of a Trump supporter, Trump sycophant. But Donald Trump will not be in office. Joe Biden will be in office. And in midterm elections, that tends to favor the party out of power which gives Todd Young a, a significant uh, advantage uh, in this race so far. Well, Laura, what can Young's opponents do to compete in this race? I agree with Abdul. I think it's going to be quite hard, uh, frankly, but it's certainly uh, from the across the aisle in terms of Democrats uh, looking at Young, painting him as someone who was a supporter of Trump. He came in in 2016, the same time President Trump came in. I think there could be some potential in-party challenges, though, again, I don't think they'd be very successful. But uh, Todd Young has a reputation and um, he's been fairly consistent in that. And he's generally well liked across the state. So I, I do think competing against him will be very difficult in the upcoming election. So, Mike, where does Senator Young fit into this conversation about the future of the Republican Party coming off CPAC and former President Trump's reappearance there last weekend? I think Senator Young sits right at the apex, frankly, of the conversation. Uh, you know, Abdul mentioned his money in, in his organization. More importantly than that is his integrity. He has become a statesman in his first term, which is very difficult to do. He was very successful for the most part with his uh, NRSC uh, chairmanship. He is just, he is a, he's a legend in the making. And uh, he's also listed as one of the most bipartisan senators in the U.S. Senate. So he's at the top of every conversation and uh, he will help guide the party, not just in Indiana, but nationwide. Jennifer, another Republican has been making news this week. Congressman Jim Banks was at CPAC last weekend. He voted against the stimulus bill by proxy. But he also made headlines this week calling for Indiana to join Texas in getting rid of that mask mandate, a move Indiana Democrats said was uh, putting politics ahead of common sense. What's your reaction here? I have to agree with my uh, my party on this one. I know Congressman Banks. I, you know, have worked with him on, on some, some issues. Um, I disagree with him on this one. I think that uh, Governor Holcomb has done a really great job throughout the course of this pandemic, oftentimes flying in the face of the, the right side of his, the far right side of his party to do what was right for public health and public safety. Uh, and I think, you know, and I say this as a Democrat, I mean, we've had strong, consistent leadership 
And I think Congressman Banks should, uh, you know, maybe take that into consideration before making political moves like he did this week. Mike, the governor says he's not ready to lift that mask mandate yet, regardless of what Congressman Banks or the governor of Texas has to say about this issue. Well, I think the governor's done the right thing. He's listened to his uh, right-hand uh, doctor, Dr. Box. He's listened to the science. And I think because of that, Indiana's done a lot better than a lot of states. At the same time, rolling out the vaccine, we're one of the top states per capita in the number and the, the percentage of people in our state who've been vaccinated. Uh, witnessed last Friday and going through tomorrow, 17,000 Hoosiers will get the J&J &J vaccine. Thousands more at Notre Dame this week, thousands more down at the Ivy Tech in Sellersburg. The governor's on a roll because he's paying attention to the science. Well, Abdul, given that, isn't the governor going to face growing pressure to open things up and to end that mask mandate as more and more Hoosiers get vaccinated? Um, yes, he will. But, the, but here's the thing to keep in mind. And I will say this. The governor's been following the science. And the goal is to follow the science so you can actually, you know, eliminate the mask mandate, open up Indiana fully. And by doing that, I think uh, it's a much more responsible manner than just uh, doing what they did in Texas. And by the way, Governor Abbott had his own problems. They can't get the lights on and the water running down in Texas. So I don't know if I'd follow Governor Abbott uh, for much of anything, to be really honest with you. But Governor Holcomb has done it right. He's followed the science. He's listened to Dr. Box. He's listened to the medical experts. And by the way, they've issued out the vaccine by age, which is so, which is which are most acceptable uh, to get it. So I think they've been very responsible uh, with the way they've done the vaccine. Jennifer, all this comes as the state continues to expand vaccinations. Now, teachers are eligible as well through that federal program we mentioned uh, expanded this week by the Biden administration. I think that's critically important. Um, I know that the science said do it by age, but we want to reopen our classrooms. We want to get teachers and, and kids back there safely. And I think having teachers have access to that vaccine is, is, is a key to that. Um, I would say, being only 40, that I would really greatly appreciate it if we would go ahead and lower that, uh, that vaccination age range by another couple of uh, uh, buckets over the next couple of weeks. But uh, I think this is, a, this is a great step in the right direction. Well, Laura, there's certainly been a lot of good news on vaccines this week, but on other issues like the stimulus bill, the Biden administration has already had to compromise on some of the provisions that uh, they had hoped to put into place. Yes, and I think we should expect those compromises, and quite frankly, those are going to result in a better policy. Now, you have the Democrats, of course, enjoying unified government with Kamala Harris as vice president, Ty in the Senate, right? They have the White House. They have the House of Representatives. But I, I think we make this assumption that, of course, they'll stand together on every single issue and be in the exact um, same side of the policy, and that's, that's not always going to be the case. Obviously, there are a lot of winners and losers here from the financial perspective. We have to consider who needs what, who needs the most. Um, who, at what point do they need it, and how is this going to impact not just the economy, but the deficit and our overall budget and balance? I think there are a lot of difficult decisions, and I think so far the leadership is handling them very well. Uh, but we should expect to see this, and at the end of the day, that results in superior, in my opinion, superior policy because compromises are necessary. Well, Mike, is bipartisanship dead in, in Washington, given what we've already seen with the, uh, the stimulus? Is the president going to be able to maintain that pledge to try to be bipartisan? Well, frankly, it, it is dead for the most part. I mean, we now have a Democratic version of partisanship or before we had a Republican version. But I will point out that eight Democratic senators voted against Bernie Sanders' um, minimum wage uh, amendment a few days ago, including both senators from Delaware, both senators from New Hampshire, 
and the two most important, or not important, independent Democrat senators, Manchin from West Virginia and Angus King from Maine. So um, their own party put them in a position to have to vote against this, but they had the courage to do that. And we'll see if, as Dr. Wilson says, uh, how much compromise we have in the next few days. All right. We'll be talking about all of these uh, topics coming up in the weeks and months ahead. Our thanks to our panel. Coming up next on In Focus, Mayor Joe Hogsett and Council Republicans have very different views on a new report that was just released reacting to the downtown riots last year. You'll hear what they have to say about it. More than one million Hoosiers have received at least one dose of the coronavirus vaccine, and now Indianapolis Mayor Joe Hogsett is one of them. He and Dr. Virginia Kane got the just-approved Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Meanwhile, we're getting our first on-camera response from Indianapolis Mayor Joe Hogsett and Marion County Prosecutor Ryan Mears to a report that criticized their roles in the riots downtown last spring. Last week, a three-member commission issued a report. It found IMPD's tactics were aggressive and intimidated demonstrators, which later led to riots. The report found the mayor's tweets and calls for peace were ignored or unheard, and the prosecutor wasn't in the loop when it came to IMPD enforcing a curfew, that action led to more than 100 arrests. This week, our Russ McQuaid went one-on-one -on -one with the mayor for answers. Anything you'd do differently? Uh, I would do everything that I could to make sure that it doesn't ever happen again, and that's exactly what we're doing. Here's the good news. Since that difficult weekend, We've had over 130 protests in the city of Indianapolis alone, and each and every one of them has been peaceful. The Republican leader of the city county council says IMPD was designated as a scapegoat for the mayor's lack of planning. He says the crowd should also be held responsible. Each one of those recommendations were about what IMPD could have done better and has no condemnation of what the rioters did, the lack of action by the prosecutor's office, lack of action by the mayor's office. Many things could have been done in this situation, but it seems as though it was kind of left to go unhandled, and we ended up in the situation we're in now. Councilman Mowry also says he will use the report's recommendations regarding more IMPD training as part of his plans to improve public safety spending in the next city budget. All right, we are just two weeks away from the start of March Madness. The entire NCAA men's basketball tournament will be in central Indiana from March 18th through April 5th. Six venues in Indy, Bloomington, and West Lafayette will host all the games. The NCAA announced they can be up to 25% capacity, but some won't be close to that number. Bloomington and West Lafayette will host the first four on March 18th. Tickets to the two games at Purdue's Mackey Arena took just 30 seconds for them to sell out. About 1,400 fans will be allowed at games there. We know IU will allow 500 people for its games at Assembly Hall. No tickets were made available for the general public. Tickets for future rounds will be made available on the dates you're about to see on your screen. A limited number will be available, so sign up with the NCAA to make sure you get access when tickets go on pre-sale. The venues are getting March Madness ready right now. We got a look inside Lucas Oil Stadium late this week. You can see it's been transformed into Basketball Central. There will be two courts inside here. 
Lucas Oil Stadium will host games in the first and second rounds, as well as the Elite Eight, the Final Four, and of course the championship game. Up next, this week's winners and losers. Welcome back. Time for this week's winners and losers. Laura, we'll start with you. Okay, I have two winners. The first is Nogal Cardona. He'll be our new Secretary of Education. He was confirmed earlier this week with a 64-33 vote. So it uh, seems to be a good sign in terms of leading the country in education at a time it needs it the most. My other winner are for teachers themselves. The Indiana teachers through the federal program can get vaccinated. And this is really important. So I hope that they're able to take up that opportunity. Mike, you're up next. Well, I'll keep with a, bi a bipartisan theme today. Uh, my winner is uh, former uh, Commerce Secretary Jim Schellinger. Um, I'm biased. I've known him since he was 14 years old, went to high school with him. But I tell you, I've never seen a finer public servant in modern Indiana history, solely part, so bipartisan, full of integrity, and I wish him uh, Godspeed. Also, my second winner has to be the American pharmaceutical industry. Everybody likes to complain about them, but I tell you, they, as an industry, got us out of one heck of a jam in the last year. Abdul, you're up next. Uh, my winner is Governor Eric Holcomb and the entire Holcomb administration. Once again, uh, by following the science and doing what the CDC recommended, uh, Hoosiers are getting vaccinated at a record rate. My biggest losers uh, are the folks who are pushing for that $15 an hour uh, minimum wage. It's, it's a bad idea, and it's even worse idea to do in an economy like this that's still struggling. Jennifer, you get the last word. Well, I have to agree with Mike uh, on Jim Schellinger. I actually, it's so bipartisan that I worked on his campaign, his primary gubernatorial campaign back in 2008. So I've known him for 13 years, could not agree more. Just a stand-up guy, uh, you know, did what was right for the state of Indiana and has, has served us well for the last five years. Really hoping he gets to spend some time with his lovely wife, Laura, and his three boys and his grandkids. Uh, and my other winner is actually my own parents, who are now finally fully vaccinated and can go out into the world, into the wild again uh, after a year of uh, quarantine. So, so excited for everybody who gets to share in that as well. Jennifer, thank you. Thanks to all of our panel. Thank you for joining us this week. We'll see you Wednesday for our live town hall and right back here again next Sunday morning. Thanks for watching.